I want you to ask yourself, how well do I tolerate conflict? You can probably think of several instances in the past months when you've experienced conflict. Am I right? In this episode, we will reframe our understanding of conflict and explore practical strategies for managing it effectively with tips from Marvin Weisbord and Sandra Janoff's book, Don't Just Do Something, Stand There. Whether you're a facilitator or a participant, these insights can help you transform conflicts into constructive conversations. Welcome, meeting makers. I'm your host, Lauren Green meeting coach and facilitation trainer, here to help you unsuck your meetings one episode at a time. I've helped hundreds of professionals and organizations through leading inclusive, engaging, and productive meetings. And now I'm offering this podcast to help you do the same. Think of this podcast as an ongoing workshop, where each time you tune in, you'll get a bite-sized nugget of knowledge you can apply right away. If you lead meetings or might someday, you're in the right place. Let's make your meetings work. Picture yourself in Taylor's shoes. You know, our project manager friend from earlier this season. She's sitting in a meeting with her well-intentioned but otherwise clueless boss, Bob, her impatient client, Jerry, her direct report, TJ, and a handful of other team members and clients. The goal of this meeting is to present changes to the program Taylor and her team are working on that they think will address Jerry's concerns. It's only slide two, and already Jerry has interrupted her with questions twice. Chest tightening, Taylor calmly tells Jerry that they have answers to his questions on later slides. Yet, two slides later, Jerry is interrupting again. Taylor looks to Bob, who has conveniently gone off camera, and Taylor feels alone on an island as her heart begins to race. As Jerry drones on and on, Taylor takes a slow, deep breath in and out and feels some of her tension release, allowing her to think a little more clearly. She looks at Jerry and notices something she's never seen before. Fear. All of a sudden, Taylor realizes that Jerry is afraid. Of what? She doesn't know, but she knows if she wants to get his buy-in, she needs to allow his fear to run its course. When he finally pauses, Taylor says, Jerry, I completely hear you. It seems like you have some concerns about whether we've addressed some of the bugs. We share the same concerns, and that's why we're bringing in two additional testers with lots of experience to help us out. For the seemingly first time, Jerry pauses, and to Taylor's surprise, he lets her finish the presentation. What just happened there, meeting makers? In seasons one and two of this podcast, we've dedicated a full episode to the C word. That's right, conflict. And it just wouldn't be a true season if we didn't include one this time around. The thing is, What we often think of as conflict is sometimes just people getting stuck or experiencing aggressive agreement. You've heard us talk about the open, refine, and close model for conversation flow. It's the refine part where the group is trying to build understanding that usually creates stuck points. And the reality is that we don't have great tools for working through the refine zone or, more importantly, tolerating it. Part of the reason for this is that we are oriented to top-down organizations where traditionally decisions have been made by one person. So making decisions as a group is tough. 
There's a reason that Sam Kaner calls this part of the conversation the grown zone. The juries of the world thrive here, and they usually have great points that we should be mindful of. But if we're too busy stressing out, we'll never get through it and find closure in the conversation. I once facilitated what I thought was a high-conflict group of about 80 people. It was day three of a leadership retreat, and we had just broken out into two breakout groups of 30 to 40 people within specific operating units. My co-facilitator took one group to another part of the building, and I took the other. The group's leader was supposed to kick off our breakout session and address some of the needs of the group, but unfortunately, they were dealing with some personal work issues and decided that they had had enough of our meeting. Just as we got started, the leader left, and I was stuck standing in front of a room of 40 people wondering where their leader was and why this person wasn't addressing the group as planned. My initial strategy was to try to get the group working on what they were supposed to do anyway, but the group swiftly resisted, and I found myself being yelled at by several individuals, all demanding to know what was really going on. As the panic started to rise, I realized that there was no way the group was going to do what I had planned for them, so it was time to make a pivot. Still feeling very jittery, I told the group that we could have this conversation that they clearly wanted to, even without the leader present. But in order to do that, we had to change the structure, specifically the structure of the room. To my surprise, and with a little coaxing, they agreed and helped me move tables to the sides and place all 40 chairs around the room in a circle. I had a beach ball toy in my bag, and I told the group that whoever was holding the beach ball was the one who could talk. Fortunately, they agreed with this ground rule. We had a long session that from the outside view may not have seemed very productive, but it was what the group needed. One of the funniest moments was when someone squeezed the beach ball, not realizing that it was also a dog toy, and its squeak filled the silent room. Laughter filled the void, and there was a distinct energy shift. I have reflected a lot on this meeting, and it was definitely one that I feel earned me some notches in my facilitator belt. I always thought that if I was being yelled at by a room full of people that I would run away crying, but that's not what happened. Instead, I did the only thing I could think of to do, which was change the structure and allow the participants the time they wanted to have the conversation they needed to have. A few weeks later, I heard that news got out about this session, and word on the street was that many viewed it as a transformative conversation. I never found out what happened with that leader, but for the rest of the group, there was a newly formed closeness and trust that started in that very room. About a year after that, I read a book by Marvin Weisbord and Sandra Janoff called Don't Just Do Something, Stand There. Reading this book made me realize that my experience of this high-conflict group and how we were able to pivot wasn't just a happy accident. It was an intuitive manipulation of elements that enabled the meeting to be successful in a situation that felt out of control. I want to take a moment and break down some of the tools in this book so that you, as a participant, can use them to both improve your own experience of conflict and also, when appropriate, make some suggestions that can help others work through stuck points. If you can reframe your view of conflict, you'll see that fear is often behind conversations that simply have a lot of energy. People are afraid of change, of losing control, of the unknown, and of not being included. And this fear can sometimes bring out the worst behaviors. 
Maybe you are even beginning to realize that you have some fears and anxieties that tend to pop up for you during meetings. A book that I love about understanding and dealing with anxiety is called The Worry Trick. One of the things that Dr. David Carbonell writes is allowing your anxieties to play out to their fullest extent, which for most who struggle with worry feels counterintuitive. But hear me out. Most of our worries start with the words, what if? What if we don't get the budget we want? What if the project isn't completed on time? If you then ask yourself, well, what if that happened? Or what's behind that? You might find that there's a deeper fear there. For example, what if I don't have enough time? What if I don't deliver? What if I lose my job? What if I'm not enough? And when you do this exercise many times with many different situations, you may find that most people's fears come down to the same few things. Understanding what you're afraid of can help you then say, well, how realistic is this fear really? And begin to allow that worry to dissipate in place of actionable things like asking yourself, how can I create more time? Or what's most important to me right now? When you're brave enough to admit you have fears, you'll realize that others do too. And this creates a sense of shared empathy. Shared empathy enables you to be in a headspace of understanding. And being in a headspace of understanding allows you to listen. All of these are key ingredients for managing through conflict. If you're listening to this podcast before July 2024 and want to get your hands on an opportunity to learn from me, Lauren Green, live, you're in luck. We are hosting the second annual Meeting Makers Academy Workshop, Make Meetings Work, on Thursdays, July 11th to August 1st, 2024, from 12 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. We'll give you a hands-on opportunity to design a meeting, practice facilitating, and receive on-the-spot feedback to help you become more confident in your meeting skills and ability to lead inclusive, engaging, and productive conversations. You can sign up or learn more at www.makemeetings.work forward slash academy. Early bird signups end on May 30th and registration ends on July 10th. So act fast to get your spot today. Do you ever notice that when you perceive conflict, a part of your body tenses up? A lot of people have a very physical experience of conflict that manifests itself in a certain part of their body. And noticing this can help you become aware when it is time to pause, breathe, and reframe what's going on. I have learned that I experience a lot of tension in my lower back when I am stressed and anxious. Some people experience tightness in their chest, like our earlier story about Taylor. And for others, you hold it in your shoulders. This is our body's clue system that many of us are simply not paying attention to. But we can use our body as a barometer for noticing when it's time to think differently about a situation that you are in. Just like Wiseboard and Janoff's book title suggests, sometimes the best way to deal with conflict is to simply stand there and do nothing. Accept that a conversation with high energy is happening, and you don't know what's going to happen, and that's okay. When we stand there and do nothing, we start listening. And when we listen, we can acknowledge the concerns that we and others share. 
The first thing I want you to do is reframe conflict and make peace with ambiguity. The next time you experience what you think is conflict, pause, take a deep breath, and see if you can listen to what is really going on. Taking a breath is important. It can help activate your parasympathetic nervous system and engage your brain's ability to think clearly, make better decisions, and potentially see things from a different perspective, just like Taylor did in our opening example. There are lots of mindfulness exercises where breath is used, and they are all great, so just find one that works best for you. Next, I want you to say to yourself, conflict is simply a conversation with higher energy. You can make up a different mantra or use that one, but the key thing is to allow yourself to see the conversation from a different perspective. Conversations with conflict usually center around what is sometimes called a wicked problem. It's something that can't be solved with a yes or no answer, or by one person, and it requires diversity of thought that can only be accomplished when multiple people put their heads together. You don't know where the conversation will end, but having the conversation, no matter how ambiguous it is, will enable more clarity. Facilitators engage many tools that create structure for high-energy and ambiguous conversations to help them be successful but you don't have to be a facilitator to use these strategies. One of the first ones is setting meeting agreements. In season one, episode four, we talk about meeting agreements being a part of how every meeting should start, even if it's a recurring meeting that you have every week. These agreements can be as simple as inviting everyone to be present and remove distractions. The key thing about agreements is they should meet the need of anticipated group behavior. If you're sitting in a meeting and you notice people interrupting, yes, it takes some bravery, but there's nothing stopping you as a participant from calling out this behavior in a nice way and saying, I'm noticing that so-and-so would like to talk, and I'm wondering if we can set an agreement to let people finish their thought before jumping in. As a participant, you have to find the words that show respect for your peers. Chances are, you're not the only one that noticed, and you'll be appreciated for taking this important step. In the story I shared earlier, I set an agreement with the group that if they wanted to have the conversation, that we needed to change the structure of the meeting, which in this case required moving from sitting at round tables to sitting in a circle where everyone could see and hear each other. Another agreement you can try if you are sensing that many people are talking over each other is to ask for a round-robin or go-around style conversation. Simply say, I'm noticing that we haven't heard from everyone. Would it be okay if we went around the room and gave everyone a few seconds to share their thoughts? The worst thing that can happen is the group says no or ignores this, but at least you tried. And if it doesn't work this meeting, it might work down the road. So don't give up. Wiseboard and Janoff talk about meeting structure as one of the things that is within a facilitator's control. Control the structure, and participants will take care of the rest. In doing so, we let go of unrealistic demands on ourselves, such as worrying about participants' attitudes, agendas, status, etc. But what is meant by structure? Structure includes things like time, space, and grouping. Now, as a participant, You may not have as much control over these things as you would if you were the facilitator or the meeting leader, but you can still make suggestions. For example, 
Two things I often hear as a facilitator to a group experiencing a lot of conflict is to either take a break or break into smaller groups. Breaks are helpful when the energy is so high and you're sensing that people aren't really listening to each other anymore. As a participant, you could say, I'm noticing that there's a lot of high energy here. Would it be okay if we took five minutes to break and reset? Again, the worst thing is that the group will say no and nobody will think lesser of you for making this offer. Breakouts are an important strategy for allowing more than one person to talk at the same time. If you sense that a lot of people have something to say, you can always break into pairs or small groups to have discussions and then come back to the larger group to share out and combine ideas. As a participant, you may suggest this by saying, I'm noticing that a lot of people want to speak right now. What if we did a quick breakout and come back and share and combine ideas? What often happens is that groups come back and share very similar things and realize that they weren't arguing at all, but actually vehemently agreeing with each other and just needed to break out to see this more clearly. Another way of tackling the same challenge is to stay in the main group, but brainstorm in a shared space silently. If you're in the room together, you could brainstorm onto stickies in a flip chart. And if you're online, you could do brainstorming into a Google Doc or a mural or other online whiteboard. And as of recording this podcast, there are some emergent AIs out there that can very easily theme a lot of data at one time. There's this fallacy of thinking that all meetings have to involve talking, and I've actually found that silent brainstorming and then clustering is one of the best ways to get through a tricky spot in a meeting. Making these suggestions as a participant takes a little bit of bravery and willingness to be shut down, but don't let that stop you. Sometimes the group just isn't ready for it, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't at least try. In this episode, we've reframed our understanding of conflict as a conversation with higher energy, and we've explored practical strategies for managing it effectively. We've discussed the importance of self-awareness and utilizing your body's clues to navigating challenging discussions. Whether you're a facilitator or a participant, these insights can help you transform conflicts into constructive conversations. Before we wrap up, I want to give you a couple more things that you can say as a participant if your meeting needs a redirect. You may experience meeting conflict in the form of going down rabbit holes. If this is the case, you could direct the group back to the purpose of the meeting by saying something like, I noticed that we have spent a lot of time talking about this topic. I'm wondering if someone can help us understand how this relates to the purpose of the meeting. The answer can be a great way to help the group refocus and recognize how far they may have strayed from the topic at hand. You may also notice a conversation isn't going well because the right people are not in the meeting. If this happens, you could say something like, I'm realizing that we're missing some key people here, and I feel like it may be getting in the way of us having the conversation effectively. What do you think about postponing and rescheduling in order to bring in the rest of the group? Again, these are just a couple of options you can play with. You don't have to memorize these, but my hope is that you realize that you have a bit more power to help the conversation than you may have thought, even if you're not the one leading the meeting. And in meetings where there is not a clear facilitator, these steps and recommendations will often be welcomed. 
If there is a facilitator, you might want to make some of these statements to the facilitator instead of the group, just to be sure you're not stepping on anyone's toes. Chances are, the facilitator, if they're a good one, will appreciate that you are trying to create good group behavior that's only going to make their job even easier. Many of you know that I call myself a visual facilitator. I'm always using visual tools that support group process. And it can be very helpful to visualize the conversation. I find that when people can put their ideas up in a visual way, it directs energy towards the problem instead of at another person which is key for reducing conflict in the room. Being a visual note taker for your group is one of the most effective ways to reduce conflict and improve your meetings. We will cover this and other support roles in more detail in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in, meeting makers. And remember, by embracing conflict, we pave the way for better collaboration and problem solving in our meetings. Let's make your meetings work. This podcast was written by Lauren Green and produced by Caitlin Murray. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few seconds to rate and review so future meeting makers can find our community. Download a visual summary of this episode in the description and be sure to join the conversation in our Meeting Makers Facebook group. You can find our next Meeting Makers Academy workshop on our website at www.makemeetings.work forward slash academy. Want help with your next meeting? Reach out at makemeetings.work forward slash contact and we'll set up time to chat. Okay.